Well, to understand the parable, uh, the starting point of the passage is, is to let us know why it is that Jesus said this parable and who it is that Jesus said the parable to. And, and so here's the backdrop as to why he's telling the parable. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to him or drawing near to him, to Jesus. Tax collectors in their culture, it wasn't necessarily viewed of as uh, the same as in our culture. It was sort of when you when they thought about everything that was going wrong, or they thought about, you know, something that was wrong in their life and government or whatever, the pinnacle of that in their mind, what was foremost was tax collectors. And, and the word is that could be translated tax farmer. In other words, in an agrarian culture, you would think farming from the land is a fair way of making a living. It's a good way. You know, you're just working hard, you're farming that. But these people are farming from people. And who they were is the where we left off in Nehemiah, the Babylonians had were, you know, had taken them over. And now that they were starting to gain some independence, but they were still paying taxes to the Babylonians. And now we see that they've been taken over by the Roman Empire. A lot of people, a lot of countries at that time had been taken over by the Roman Empire. And what the Roman Empire did was contract out to people within those countries to get taxes for them. And the people could uh, get more than what was due so that they could get paid. And so people just viewed them as like the, the, most, the worst person in the world that's making money off of their brothers and sisters, that's helping the country that has taken them over and is trying to take from them. So, so they were the pinnacle. And then sinners is just the Greek word for erroneous is the word, or wrong. It's just saying, here, we've got this specific thing, and this tells us, we're looking at this, and this is absolutely wrong. And then there's all these other things that in general that are wrong. That's basically what they're saying. So what's interesting, though, is every if you look at the best example of what is wrong and then attach everything else in general, all that was wrong was still drawing near to Jesus. In other words, God was doing something that he had been talking about for thousands of years. Jesus is the pinnacle of everything that God had been talking about in the scriptures. It's a wonderful thing that God is doing, and they could tell that things were changing. Everyone could see something was different that was going on. Something was happening, and all that was wrong was drawing near and was still being included. In other words, being wrong didn't bar them or keep them from being a part of what God was doing. That's the good news. <laughs> whatever God is doing for us in our lives, whatever God is doing for us as a church, whatever God is doing for us in the community, we can see that God's starting to do things. And the good news is being wrong isn't going to keep us from enjoying it. We're still going to be able to draw near, even if we're as wrong as you could possibly get. Even if you looked at the example of whatever we would say is the, the most wrong thing, we're still able to draw near and be a part of it. In other words, being wrong isn't the problem. Jesus says, here's what the problem is. It says, both the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, who are the scribes and the, Pharise the Pharisees and the scribes? 
The, the Pharisees were people that really wanted to live their life by what God has to say. The, the scribes were people who were, went into depth trying to figure out what God was saying in the Bible. So it's a group of people that really want to be a part of what God's doing and have planned their whole lives trying to be a part of what God's doing. And yet it says, in the midst of what God is doing here with Jesus, they just began to grumble. God's always doing amazing things for us. And we keep thinking, man, if I mess things up, I'm not going to be able to be a part of it. That's actually not true. There's nowhere in the Bible that that's true. We can be as wrong as we can get and still be a part of what God's doing. We can still gather around. We're going to be looking at the idea of sheep gathered around a shepherd. And the problem is, is one starts to stray off or, or a few start to stray off. Being wrong isn't what straying off is. All the people that were wrong, and it wasn't that, oh, well, tax collector, there really wasn't anything wrong there. No, there was. It was an accurate description to describe this group of people as being wrong. The things in our life that are wrong, it's not like God saying, oh, well, you just haven't figured it out. They're actually right. No. Even when, I mean, there is a lot of times when we think something's wrong, and it just isn't wrong. It's just our opinion about something. But even when our opinion is right, as in this case, it doesn't keep us from being a part of what God's doing. Being wrong isn't the problem. The problem is, is when we start grumbling, he's saying, he's saying this, it says, so he told them this parable. What's causing us to become lost isn't being wrong. What's causing us to become lost, to sort of wander off by ourselves, is when we start grumbling. Now, what's grumbling? Grumbling is, is we see something, we think it's wrong, and we just feel like we just can't embrace this, or we just sort of start pushing something off. And, and it's the very beginnings of that. It's not outright protest against it. It's not like outright fighting against it. It's just this dwelling up within us of this, like we're looking at it, we just see something like tax collectors, and then we see everything else. We have this good example. This definitely is wrong. We start looking at all that is wrong, and that causes us to just sort of push away, and we grumble. And the grumbling I remember when God first really hit me with this, I just thought, well, I'm going to solve that problem. I'm just going to say yes all the time. Well, that didn't solve the problem because I was still saying yes. But in my heart, I was still grumbling. Jesus isn't talking about those people that grumble. He's saying that who we all are, we're all sheep. And the reason, and sheep all walk away, you know, find themselves isolated become lost. And the reason why we do it is because we all just start grumbling about stuff. And I'm not saying to you, you know, I don't grumble, you grumble. I grumble more than anybody. We just, it's just a natural thing that we do. It's not a natural good thing that we do. But the point of this is Jesus doesn't really say stop grumbling because we're just not going to be able to stop grumbling. Be like telling sheep, don't go astray. Well, it doesn't do anything to tell a sheep, don't go astray. 
sheep just do that. And we just grumble. Every story in the Bible, tons of them, is all about just us just grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. It's not saying, here, let's fix the world and the whole world will just stop grumbling. It's just defining the problem. Our problem is that we just grumble all the time. It's not really when we're feeling distant from the things that God is doing. The reason why we feel distant to the things that God are doing is never because we've done something wrong. I mean, you know, we do things wrong all the time. It's not about being wrong. It's about usually because we're pushing ourselves away because we're grumbling. And, and so how do we address that? We can't address it by saying grumbling is wrong. We need to do right because that's what the Pharisees and the scribes thought they were doing. They were trying to assess here's what's right and here's what's wrong. Let's do what's right and not do. That doesn't work. The very method of trying to figure out what's right and, and what's wrong and let's do what's right and not do what's wrong, that very method of approaching things is what causes us to start grumbling. So how do we get out of this? We're lost and, and the solution isn't, well, let's just stop doing it because we're not going to stop doing it. So, so what hope do we have given that that's our situation of being lost? To that, Jesus gives this parable. He's obviously telling us, here's a way out maybe, or here's, it's not even necessarily a way out. It's just maybe here's a different way of looking at things, he says. And, and here's what he says. He says, what person among you, when they have a hundred sheep and they've lost just one of them, don't they leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until they find it? And when they find it, they lay it on their shoulders rejoicing. And they come home and they call together all their friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, I found my sheep which was lost. Now, the point of the parable is not just the analogy of sheep. Because the next parable is the same exact parable, but it's parable of the lost coin. So it's not, the, the meaning is, it doesn't have to do with sheep per se. It's about the idea of things get lost and then they get found. And then we have a fun story to talk about and we tend to go out and share it with everyone. They're just saying that's the natural course of things. In other words, we keep thinking that things have to be right. And if things are right, then we'll have something to talk about and that will be the basis for us building community. And it turns out that's actually not the case if you are just looking at things truthfully. Look, if I, you know, I drink water every day or, you know, I tend to, it's just drinking water. You drink water. If I come to you and say, I drank some water today, it'd be like, okay. And so what are you getting at with that? What makes that a great story? What makes that something we're going to laugh bond over type thing? I mean, that just goes unmentioned. If I tell someone, you know, yeah, I put a shirt on today. You know, it'd be like, well, okay, but what's the story? One time, this is maybe 20 years ago, my mom called me up. She was like laughing on the phone before she even, I was like, what, what is going on, you know? And she said, oh, the funniest thing happened today. 
I lost my keys. And I'm all, okay, well, I'm thinking to myself, that doesn't sound funny. I hate when that happens. It happens all the time. I'm always losing something. My wallet, I'm losing my keys. You know, I'm losing, I'm looking for something. You know, I spend a ton of time looking for something. So that doesn't sound funny to me. So she says, yeah, I lost my keys. And I, I went back and I just backtracked through every place I had been. I went through this store. I went through that store. I tried to remember like which aisles I went down. I went and asked people, did anyone turn some keys in? And I was just starting to cry. And I was just, you know, it was like just becoming too much. And, and so I just, in the last, I just walked up to this. I saw this big security guard there. I just walked up to the security guard and I said, has anyone turned in some keys? And he said, are, are you looking for your keys? And she says, I lost my keys. And he said, well, are those your keys? And she said, what, what? He goes, the keys that are on the lanyard hanging around your neck, are those the keys that you're looking for? And she said, you just started laughing. She'd been looking all day for keys. She had had them on her lanyard all the time. In other words, that's a great story. She went around and told everybody that story. It made her laugh. She still laughs about that story. I'm telling you this story, even though you may think it's a stupid story. It is kind of stupid, but I'm still retelling it as a point of something. And I don't know what's funnier about that story, the fact that she just had her keys, or that she actually, because she didn't want to lose her keys so badly that she went to the trouble of keeping her keys on a lanyard and keeping it around her neck. And yet she still went through the experience of thinking that she had lost the keys. Now, what's Jesus getting at by bringing this? It's not just about sheep or lost coins. It's about that type of experience in life. And what he's saying is, look, every great story Every story that bonds us together, every story that we go out and talk about that brings us, you know, causes us to bridge that, to go talk to our neighbor when we haven't talked to him or call our family member or something, something that initiates a sense of community. It always starts with everything going wrong. We know that. Every great story is great because it begins with everything went wrong. So what's Jesus saying? Look, you don't have to look at everything that's gone. Yes, there's, you're going to be able to find a million things that are wrong because that's what life is. That's who we are. It's That's what we've made of it. There's a million things that are wrong, and we can spend time looking at that. But he says, grab a hold of the good news. All that's wrong doesn't mean that you can't draw close to me. All that's wrong doesn't mean that I don't have a plan for you. All that's wrong doesn't mean that you're excluded from, from the joyful story that I'm building in your life. It's just the beginning of the story, he says. He says the grumbling is there because we're thinking that, the, that everything that's wrong is the end of the story. But Jesus says, no, look at life. We all know. You don't have to take my word for it. Just look at life. Every great story starts with all these things going wrong. He says there's another way of looking at it. Take hope in what the story is going to be. Yes, lots of things wrong. Lots of things wrong. Lots of things I'm doing wrong. Lots of things you're doing wrong. Lots of this person. That, lots of stuff going wrong. 
But if this is just the beginning of the story, the joy is in the hope of what God is going to do. Let's say, that's why I say, what's God going to do? What's Jesus going to do here? He says, that's where the joy is found. That's what if Jesus is just giving us a great story to tell? What if Jesus is giving us a story that's going to bond us all together? That's going to, we're going to be able to laugh together now. We're going to be able to talk about this. What if it's just the beginning of the story? But the end is good news of God saving us. Now you may think, well, not every story ends well. Well, not every story has ended. <laughs> That's why Jesus talks about in heaven. Once we're dead and we're in heaven, that's the end of the story. This is all that's happening here. This is just the middle. This is just the beginning of the story. And there's little subplots where things go well, things go badly. But any way you look at it, this is all the beginning of the story. And God gives us these little mini stories. It's shorter stories, little short stories that end with God saving us. And great little mini stories to tell. And then we have some other stories that last a little bit longer, some bigger stories. And then we have the complete story, and that ends in heaven. All stories end well. If there is a heaven that Jesus is letting people who have done wrong enter into it, if people who have done wrong can enter into heaven, then heaven is the end of the story, and that's going to be great. And yes, all stories here in this oftentimes start with things that are wrong. He's saying, look at the big picture of things. Don't just stop and, and without hope and, and think that, that all that we see that's wrong defines that this is just going to be horrible now. And so let's just grumble. We just sort of, we can't help but go there. But he says, have some faith. Faith in Jesus. Jesus doesn't need us to be right to give us a great story and to work things out. Jesus is more than capable of taking all that's wrong and turning it into a great story. It's the story of his salvation. That's where our hope is at. And here's how he ends. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven. It's funny, mine says more in italics. It's just because the interpreter is saying, well, I feel like I need to explain this a bit because otherwise people are going to misconstrue. He says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need for repentance. The, the interpreter in mine is, is saying, well, I don't want it, people to think that there's no joy over the 99, right? Well, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus just says, look, there's joy in heaven when a single person repents rather than 99 who have no. In other words, there's no joy here in people that have no need to repent. He's talking about a story here. Look, the end of the story is never going to end with us feeling like we were right and we have nothing to repent for. <laughs> That's not how the story's going to end. The story always ends 
it's good because Jesus steps in and saves us and works everything out. That's gonna, that's what makes the story great. That's the stories that God creates. That's the stories that Jesus gives us in our life to share with people. They're not stories of us figuring out the right way of doing things and then going out and doing it. They're stories of everything going wrong. But then Jesus saves us. They're stories where the beginning is about repentance and all that is wrong. And the conclusion is always about Jesus stepping in and making things good. Jesus saving us. Jesus bringing us to a place. It never concludes with, well, I told you so. That's, that's grumbling. The conclusion is always just Jesus saved us. And so Jesus is saying to us, look, I know you guys are going to grumble. I get that. And to be honest, the grumbling, it's okay. But if you want to start enjoying the story, you're not going to enjoy it by going down this road of grumbling. You're going to need something to pull you away, to give you something to have a little bit of joy in life. You're going to look at the whole story, have hope that I'm going to bring the story to a to the joy of the lost being found, to the joy of what I'm going to do. And so, you know, as we think through things in our life, and as we think through things with the church, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? How are things going to turn out? We can definitely look at this past year and just see, wow, a lot of problems. We make plans to move forward, but the joy isn't in the plans that we need to make, that if they are right, then we'll be able to be a part of what God, that's not what planning is about. We don't need to have right plans to be a part of. We can have plans that are just completely wrong and could still be a part of what Jesus is doing. What the planning is, and as we think about the future, it's not what right thing do we need to do to make this result be good? The plans are just about, let's just dream about, let's hope about, what's it going to look like? What's Jesus doing? Where is Jesus bringing us? What's it going to look like? It's going to be wonderful in what kind of way? That's what the planning is about. The planning is about just the dreaming and putting our hope on the great ending that Jesus has for us, the great conclusion, maybe of this little mini story, maybe of a longer story, but wherever it is that Jesus is bringing us to, that's what we want to grab a hold of. And we're just naturally going to think about this being wrong, that being wrong. We're just naturally going to go down that. But the only thing that's going to pull us out of that is a hope in Jesus, a hope that whatever all this is, it's just been the beginning. But what is Jesus going to do? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this hope of you being in our life. Without you, the story would always end badly. Uh, the story would always be about everything that's wrong. 
Thank you for giving us this new hope, this hope that, that God, you're going to step into our lives, that you have stepped into our lives, that you're there, and you're taking this story that begins with everything that we've messed up, and you're taking it, and you're bringing it to a wonderful place that brings us so much joy that we just have to go tell our neighbor about it, tell other people about it, that we form a community around the story that you've given us of hope and where you're bringing us to. Help us to see that. Help us to take joy in that. Help us to look forward to this next year with you, seeing what you're going to do. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.